0: The text for today's meditation comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. It says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So far, the reading of God's word. So far, we pray. uh, Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today... um, I want you to think of the best vacation that you've ever taken. and you kind of picture that in your mind, the best vacation you ever took? And the question is, what made it so great? Well, the perfect vacation for many people, a good vacation, involves either the mountains or the beach or sometimes the combination of the two. Uh, I know that a couple of weeks ago we were up in the mountains of Colorado and it was really nice up there. Uh, For other people, a vacation is just going somewhere where you uh, get a few days away from the everyday grind. There's no phone calls, no demands, no deadlines, just a a little bit of peace and quiet, a good book uh, or two, and a lot of relaxation. For some people, they like to get totally off the grid. Phones don't ring, phones don't work, uh, no text messages, no Facebook, no nothing. Now, when a good vacation ends, you usually come away, I would suggest, probably thinking maybe two different things. One is, you'd like to do this again sometime, and soon, as soon as you can, to get back there. And two, I think another thought we may have is that this is a great place to be for a few days, but I'm not sure that I'd really want to live there. Now, why is that? I I think it's pretty simple. It's because rest and relaxation, as great as it is, That's not really what most of our lives are about. And I'll tell you that as much as I enjoy a pleasant getaway, uh, my life is really about the work that I do. You know, I I just say personally, it's like, okay, it was nice being away, but I need to get back out to St. Mark's. I need to get the sermons done. I need to work on my Bible class. I need to get back to what it is that I'm called to do. Now, I would be willing to wager. Uh, that while I've been talking, you've had a little bit of time. You've been thinking about a better-than-average vacation you took. It kind of uh, revitalized you, reinvigorated your outlook in just a matter of days. That's what a vacation, a good vacation, looks like. But let's consider the flip side to that. What about the worst vacation ever? Well, (laughs) the not-so-perfect vacation, you ended up at the Bates Hotel, Uh, I mean, has this ever happened to you? Uh, You spent uh, weeks planning every detail, paying in advance, uh, getting up your hopes, and then everything kind of goes wrong. Now, I'm not going to mention where this was necessarily, uh, but I remember one time uh, our family, uh, all of Nancy's extended family and our kids, we gathered at a place near... Nashville, Tennessee, on the lake. Uh, Suffice to say, uh, the place we stayed uh, wasn't quite the place that was described on the brochure that was about 30 years old. And I, I tell you, I was never so happy... That I had to fly back home to do a wedding and leave everybody behind. And, it, and, and of course, as we've kind of talked about this over the years, uh, this is a place, I'd say, that we'd be crazy to ever go back to that place again. Now, I'm guessing that all of you probably have one or two stories that you could talk about where you had those kinds of vacations as well. And that's just how vacations work. Uh, there are places that we've been that we can't wait to get back to. And there are places that we never, ever want to go back to as long as we live. But today, I'm not going to talk about those kind of vacations, but rather to talk about what I call mental vacations that we sometimes take. The places that we visit in our thoughts, in our memories, and I want to talk about a little bit about how those thoughts and memories affect our life in the present. Now, we're in this second week of our series that I call Glory Days. Uh, You know, when people hear this glory days, uh, they typically think it refers to a time long time ago, but not this series. Uh, These four messages I'm preaching from the same text are about how you can make these days right now your glory days and how you can make this time right here right now the time of your life. And we're going to spend four weeks, like I said, on looking at just one passage of scripture. Now, I. Asked you last week or challenged you to read this section of scripture numerous times this week I am not going to ask you did you do so or not I'm going to, not even going to take for granted that you all did Study it in both Greek and Hebrew and the original Aramaic or anything uh, But Hebrews 10, 19 to 39 And these passages teach us four different things about living today Now last week we talked about the principle of renewal Renewal. And the whole thing was like, draw us to thee. Uh, that's what God, you know, we pray that to God. But we, God also says, you need to draw near to me as well. Uh, draw near to God on a daily basis. Find your strength for life in his presence so that your tank is always full. Now, I mentioned at the beginning, before we started today, that I just came back from uh, spending a couple of really great days at the Global Leadership uh, Summit down at Angola. And, you know, when I'm there with all of those uh, great and wonderful guys I'm privileged to teach and work with, and then I have two full days of world-class leaders speaking to me, my tank is about as full as you can get it. In fact, it is, it's almost so full that I can't even remember what I learned. I mean, I have to go back at the notes and take a look at it, but I feel like my tank is pretty full today. Uh, but today we're going to talk about reconnection. And so I'm going to ask you today to think about to reconnect with the best part of the past of your Christ follower life. Not that we spend a lot of time dwelling on it, but so that you can use the best of your life to empower your life now. You don't want to live in the past, but guess what? The past is not a bad place to visit from time to time. The problem, however, is that many of us, whenever we revisit the past... We don't go to those five-star hotels with the Ocean View and complimentary breakfast buffet. Uh, we end up going to the hole in the wall with the broken air conditioner and the complimentary uh, can of bug spray. Uh, today's message is really about mental vacations, and the key word is reconnect. That's what God's asking us to do, to reconnect with the best parts of our discipleship life And there are three other re-words that we're going to look at as we put this into practice. So we're going to uh, take a look again at, at the text. I read this to you once, but let's look at it again. It says, remember. That's where it starts. Remember those earlier days you had received the light. In other words, remember those days when you first came to really know and understand who Jesus was. When it really kind of clicked for you for the very first time. I can remember being in eighth grade, walking out after a Christmas Eve service, And standing there and looking up, and it was like a particularly starry night, but it was snowing. And we had just gone through the whole Christmas Eve thing. And I stood there and I thought to myself, boy, this is really real. What a wonderful God who would send his son. I can remember times as a pastor. I think my first year as a pastor at at Emmanuel in Belvedere, Illinois. The first Easter Sunday that I was ever privileged to be a part of as, as a pastor, I can remember walking into that church early in the morning and just when the doors opened, being almost knocked over by the smell of the Easter lilies. And then the whole thing with the worship service, with the timpani drums and the trumpets and the, and the choirs and the handbells. And, and that day, when the service ended, I remember walking out of that church uh, side by side with my associate, uh, Pastor Willie. And we got to the door and we both looked at each other. And he goes, boy, is Easter way cool. And it was just, it, it just such a, a powerful experience again. So that's what we're going to take a look at. It's that kind of right mental one that says, remember those days after you received the light. When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. So just remember those times when life was not particularly good for you. But you stood your ground. You stood your ground. Why? Because of who you are in Jesus Christ. See, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and injury. That ever happened to anybody? Anybody here ever been insulted or persecuted? At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. Have you ever had other people in your family or acquaintance that they had been persecuted and insulted? And you stood there with them. Uh, You sympathized with those in prison. Well, I'm coming off of you know, three days you know, in prison with people, standing next to people. Uh, many guys, I mean, I had a few of them tell me, uh, Doc, I just said the one thing I love about you, you you're really the only person ever comes to visit me. And I think, you know, I'm only visiting with you for two or three minutes a couple of times a day because there's so many other people to stop and talk with. And I said, you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Well, I don't know that anybody's had that happen necessarily, but I read about it every once in a while. Government exercises it right of eminent domain. And they just come in and seize people's property and business. It said, but again, it says, remember those earlier days because you knew that you yourself have better and lasting possessions. I'm but a stranger here. What? Heaven is my home. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on the head. Where your heart is, that's where your treasures will be. Now, there are three re-words we want to take a look at today that I want to highlight as we reconnect on the best parts of our life as Christ followers. Here's the first one. The word is remember. To remember how things used to be. Uh, it says, remember those earlier days after you received the light. Again, if you can remember those days when it just all of this whole thing about Christ and Christianity became real in your hearts. Now, not long ago, I I read a story about a man whose name was Tim. Tim is, and I would say he was or he is, an alcoholic. Uh, For years, his life in this story was a total wreck. Uh, He lived most of his days, he said, in a drunken stupor. At least that's how he described it. Uh, Every morning he said that when he woke up, the first thing he did was try to recall what he had said and what he had done the night before. Uh, The memory of uh, what happened last night typically uh, brought into his life unbearable guilt. Um, And in fact, the only way he knew how to deal with that unbearable guilt from the night before uh, was to drink, to forget it again. But in his story, as he wrote, he said about eight years ago in 2007, He entered rehab, and he sobered up, and his life began to change. Uh, He began to experience success again in his chosen career. Uh, He was able to create some financial stability for himself. Uh, He got involved in the church. He got involved in a men's discipleship group in town. Overall, everything started to get better for him in every area of life. For two full years, he lived clean and sober and happy and productive. And then for some crazy reason he said he gave himself permission to take another drink. Now I realize that some people can take one or two drinks. I mean I I know that to be. You can take one or two drinks and stop. But in this story, as he told it, he said, Not me. And he says, Quote, I would drink until the bottle was empty, and then I would drink until the liquor cabinet was empty. And then I would try to drink until until the entire liquor store was empty, or at least until it closed. Now, it wasn't long before his life that had been up here had spiraled downward into the mess that it had been before. Uh, Day-long inebriation, followed by guilt and regret, and then another day to drink himself into oblivion so that he would forget and wake up the next morning so he could feel guilt and regret and drink himself back into that. Now, again, i want to read you a little bit more of his story. He said, quote, during this time, I'd often think back to those two years of sobriety. I remember how good it felt to be sober. I remember how good it felt to be in control of my life. I'd remember situations that I'd been in, in which opportunities to drink were all around me, and yet I successfully resisted. I remembered how good it felt to wake up each day clear-headed and guilt-free. I remembered how it felt for my children to be proud of me and not afraid of me. And then he ended up by saying, it was by remembering again and again those two years of victory that I found the courage to try again. Now, his last drunken bender in his, in his little story lasted about a year until, like that prodigal son kneeling in front of the hog trough, where it says when he finally came to his senses that he got sober again. And, and that's now been about five years ago. And the article concluded by saying that these last five years have been some of the greatest years for Tim and his family and his business. Now, how did his turnaround actually begin? I mean, what gave him the power and the courage and the desire to try one more time? Well, very simply, it was the memory of, or you could say the mental vacation back to the very best days of his life when he was honoring God... In all ways and remembering those best days of his discipleship walk gave him that strength to get up to find the strength and hope again. Now, this is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. He said, remember those days when you walked in victory. Uh, Remember those days that even though times were really bad. And outright persecution almost knocked you to the ground and, and, and maybe even won the battle. Remember those kinds of things. Remember that God never left you during those times. God's presence and power was there for you. And that's why I think we all need to remember those times of victory. Now, there's a, this would be a great song to sing sometimes Victory in Jesus. And that's not really a hymn that you're going to find in the hymn book of the Lutheran Church, but it's a great old hymn of the church Victory in Jesus. We need to be reminded of that because we're all too prone, even as Christians, to do the opposite. And that is to remember the worst days of our lives and to dwell on the many times that we've failed and we kind of replay the tapes over and over about defeat after defeat after defeat. But with every playback, we become more and more convinced that this is who we are and things will never change. See, if you want to get back to the way you really felt, you know, when you claimed that first love, and we're going to get to that a bit in Revelation, you get into the habit of thinking back to the best days of your Christian walk and reliving your moments of your greatest victories in Jesus. Now, these are not victories that you won, but they, they won because you were following the true victor. And if you want those days to be your best days, you need to remember what your best days actually look like. And settle for nothing less today. Now, the second word is repeat. Repeat the things you do. Now, complacency, or um, bone idleness, or as my grandparents used to call, lazy, uh, that's always been the big danger of the spiritual life. It's easy to get a bit, little bit lazy. Uh, it's a little bit, it's easy to become a little bit comfortable. And as a result, it's pretty easy then to lose focus of what really matters in this Christian life. That when Jesus spoke to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, this is what he said about one of them in the book, uh, the church of Ephesus. He said, I know your deeds, your hard work and, and your perseverance. But then he said, yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken your first love. Now, I think a lot of Christians fall into that category. I mean, there's certainly been seasons in my life. Let's understand. We all have seasons of life that we go through. But there are seasons of my Christian life when I think Jesus would probably have said these same words to me. Barry, you have forsaken your first love. Now, what is your first love? Well, I'm sorry, it's not your spouse, it's not your kids. It's the relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ. Your relationship with God is the number one thing, at least should be the number one thing in your life. Anything and everything else ought to be a distant number two. In fact, uh, you know how we do in football. I mean, college football season is going to start in another four weeks. And what we do is we start coming out with the top ten or the top twenty-five. And so sometimes we we make the mistake and say, well, God is number one and such and such is number two. But what I know is, um, I don't know who's. I think Ohio State is predicted to be number one at the beginning of the season. But guess what? The minute they lose, somebody else moves up there. That's why God says in, in the top 25, there's only the top one. There's nothing else below. Everything else doesn't count. What counts is your relationship with me. Jesus said the most important commandment is to do what? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and nothing should matter more. That is what your first love should be. Now, what he held against this church is that in spite of their good deeds, uh, they let their, the love aspect of the relationship with him, the passion, if you will, Take a back burner to everything else. And I think as we've seen before, God wants to be loved before he's ever served. And I think sometimes we get this back. We just just need to serve God and then God will love us. We talked a little bit about that last week where we forget that none of that earns us a spot. We need to love him. We need to have more of him to begin with. Serving God is important. But we must remember that the love must come first. So what does he tell the church in Ephesus to do? He said, yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken your first love. And then he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Now, that's the very same thing that uh, Hebrews said. And then Jesus said, you remember the height from which you've fallen. What you need to do now is repent and do the things you did at first. In other words, remember what life used to be like when you were passionate about this. Now, when you think about your best days as a Christ follower, what were you doing that made those days so special? I mean, what were you doing right? Now, I'll make this a little bit more personal, but, you know, uh, I don't always run on all eight cylinders. We talked a little bit last week about how you run empty and you get sludge built in the bottom of your tank. You ever done that? You're just kind of chugging through life and kind of barely making it. But what I've discovered is that when I'm hitting on all eight cylinders, spiritually, it invariably comes down to one thing. And it's this. I'm spending time in God's presence. I'm worshiping him. I'm feeding on his word. I'm casting all my cares on him. I'm yielding my heart to him, not just early in the morning as part of opening morning devotions, but all the way through the day. And when I make sure my first love remains my first love, my life seems to work much better. Now, notice that Jesus doesn't tell the Ephesians to repent and feel what they used to feel doesn't say that, does he? Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and feel how you did it first. He said, no, do what you used to do. See, if in the best days of your life, in your past, for example, if you listen to a lot of Christian music, then I encourage you to go back and pick up that habit again. I mean, if in the best days of your Christ follower life, you had morning devotions, I would encourage you to get back into that habit again. Uh, if in the best days of your past you talked a lot to other people about Jesus whenever the opportunity presented itself, I'd encourage you to pick up that habit again. You need to do today at first, what you do today, what you did at first if you want to experience that same kind of power. If you want those days to be the best days of your past, make it a point to repeat it today and carry it on into the future. Now there's a thir- third word here that's recaptured. Recapture your greatest victories. I hope you remember the story of David and Goliath. Uh, I remember one of the first years out of the, uh, when I was at Lord of Life, uh, we did a series in the summer called Heroes of the Bible, great, great Heroes of the Bible. And the one story that I got to teach on was David and Goliath. And when the service was over, this lady came up to me and she said, that was the most fascinating story I ever heard. Where does that come from? <laughs> And I said, it comes from the Bible. I mean, she really, well, it shows you she really wasn't very, very she was really new to being a Christian. Well, uh, we know that Israel was at war with the Philistines. Uh, Goliath, the giant, who was six cubits in the span, which means he was about nine and a half foot tall. He would have been a great basketball player. If he could have jumped just as high, he'd be banging his head on the rim all the time. Goliath would march out every day, and he would challenge any Israelite soldier to come and fight him. But all of them stood back and said, no way, Jose. Now, David shows up on the scene in chapter 17. He finds out what's going on, and he's just this punk kid. And he said, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him. Now, he was there bringing some food to his other brothers. He walks. This would be just like some kid walking off the street in a pair of sandals and a pair of uh, baggy uh, cargo shorts and a T-shirt and saying, the soldiers can't take care of this? Let me at it. Now, King Saul, we know, says, in effect, um, no, you can't do this. You're just a kid. You don't have any experience. But David says to the king, with all due respect, uh, king, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. Now, if you're going to take it out of of this bear or lion's mouth, how close do you need to get to the bear or lion? Have you ever been close to a lion? Uh, Going on a little bus through South Africa one time, I stood inside of a floppy door, those floppy doors of the old school like school buses, and we went to this lion's park, and the lion was no more than about six feet away from me. And I looked at it, and, and I absolutely could not believe how big the paw on that lion was and how high he stood. And then you could see his... Uh, not fingernails, is claws. And the bus driver said, You know, if that lion wanted to, he could just jump right through this door. In which case I I went and sat in the back of the bus. (laughs) So you gotta be pretty close to the lion and the bear. And it says and when it the lion and the bear, when I snatched that sheep out of that it turned on me. And I seized it by the hair. I grabbed the lion and I beat him with a club. I, I struck him. I killed him. Then, then he goes on to say, uh, your servant has killed both lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, I mean, it shows you David has no respect for him. It's like he's saying this Gentile, this guy who's not part of God's family is going to be just like them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Isn't that interesting? Now, do you see what he's doing? You know, in doing this stuff, he was kind of reframing his past victories where God had brought great power into his life. I killed the lion. I killed the bear. I can kill this uncircumcised Philistine. Now, look back at your, uh, your past victories. What do they teach you today? You know, maybe you conquered a habit of some kind. I mean, I think again about the guys that uh, I, I spent in prison, the time with prisoners last week, and they showed a video, and I hope to show it here some Sunday, if I can get my hands on it. But it shows these guys, and it shows you a picture of an inmate. It'll tell you that they're serving 99 years uh, for sexual assault and murder. But as the video goes through, it'll show their picture one last time. And where it says how many years and what they did, it gradually fades out. And the next thing it says, graduated from the seminary, today serves as a pastor in Angola. And so what's happening here now, they have some victories now. The idea is not to look about their past and say, look, I came into this prison because I was a hardened criminal. No, I look where I gained victory was when I got here to prison and Christ grabbed a hold of me. Now, what do your past victories? You know, maybe you conquered a habit. Maybe you got yourself out of some relationship you shouldn't have been in. Uh, Maybe it it was an attitude. Maybe you were angry all the time. And, And finally, when God got a hold of it and you got rid of this stuff, what did those experiences teach you? I mean, I think one thing they teach you is, if you did it once, you can do it again. And if you did it then, you can do it now. And that's exactly... What went through, you know, Tim, you remember him, the alcoholic's head that I told you about before. When he got sober for two years, he said, if I did it once, I can do it again, and I can do it now. Now, it's kind of reminded. some of you uh, may know this comedian, his name is Jerry Clower. I don't know if you ever heard him. He's particularly funny. And uh, he tells a story about he and his friend Marcel Ledbetter. We're sitting on the front steps of an old country store one day, and a guy pulls up in this big, black, shiny car, and he says, hey, country boy, uh, I bet you $5 that you can't eat this 60-pound watermelon right here. And, and Marcel Ledbetter looks at him and says, well, I think I can eat it, but let me run back to the house just to make sure. And a couple of minutes later, he comes back and says, yes, sir, uh, I can eat that 60-pound watermelon. And he cracked that, o- that watermelon open, and he ate every bit of it, scraped the rind, slurped out all of the juice of this watermelon, and then he said to the guy, (coughs) uh, give me my $5. And the man in the car said, son, I'm going to give you your $5, but I'm curious, why did you have to run back to your house before you knew whether you could eat this watermelon? And Marcel said, well, up at the house, my dad has a watermelon about the exact same size, so I knew if I could eat that one, I could eat this one. Now, what was happening? That? That, that kind of makes sense. I mean, Marcel understood a spiritual principle, whether he was spiritual or not, uh, that we learn. And it is, if I could do it in the past, <coughs> I could do it now. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Remember the days of victory. Remember how you came through it and stood by one another. Remember how well you did it. Remember how you felt during that time. And then in the next verse, he makes this point: uh, Do not throw away your confidence. You need to persevere. Now, have you ever felt particularly confident because you know you're victory in Jesus and everything is going well, and you've got I mean, Jesus, and you feel really confident? It's like bring bring them on. Uh, got giants in this land? Bring them on. And it's like the guy who said he wanted to he wanted to attack the gates of hell with a water pistol. Uh, you know, he was supremely confident. And I'm going to do this, but but you need to persevere. In Philippians, it said, not that I've already achieved the goal, but I keep on striving for the goal. I don't look back. I keep pressing on. I don't give up. He said, remember the past, not in order to live there, but to recapture that power that you had in Jesus before. Now, why? Well, very simply, if you did it then... You can do it again, and you can do it right now. I think that's why it's so important to reconnect with our past, our spiritual past. The idea is never really to live there, but it's a nice place to visit every once in a while. And the reason why is because when we connect with the best days of our past, we're able to pick up where we left off. Now, you all have a, got a choice about places you let your thoughts visit, where you take your mental vacation, so to speak. The question is, are you going to go back to the worst part of your past and relive those failures and those defeats again and again and again and again, kind of like taking a vacation in some rundown hotel with no air conditioning and a million mosquitoes? <coughs> or will you go back and revisit the best days of your life. The most overwhelming victories you had in Jesus. The greatest moments of power you felt as the Holy Spirit just kind of coursed through your bodies. Kind of made you feel like you were staying in a five-star hotel with an ocean breeze and an ocean view. Now, which of those two would you prefer? Which of those would you rather have be your glory days? Well, I don't know about you, but like Joshua says, ask for me and my house. I choose to... Live in victory. That's why you need to pick up where the best days of your life left off. Do today what you did back then by the power of God. And if you did it then, guess what? God, who helped you then, is still there and will help you do it again. And you don't need to put it off. You can do it right now. That's what makes this time the time of your life. May God bless his word in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.